Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our community on this Palm Sunday morning. Palm Sunday is the day that marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem the week before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. It starts what's known as, as the Passion Week, and it is the week that culminates not with the cross, but really with his resurrection and with his victory over death. But it's during this week where we have some of Jesus' most famous prayers. We've spent the past three weeks studying one of them in John 17, where he prays for himself, his disciples, and the church. That happens during this week. Today we're going to look at one of his last recorded prayers, a prayer that he lifts up right before his time of suffering on the cross, but right in the middle of his agony over what he would face. And honestly, I think that's the timing for so many of our prayers, that like we, we pray asking God for work before something happens or to keep something from happening. And so it's, it's before the suffering and the heartache that we feel like we're going to face, but it is right in the middle of the agony of, of, of what we're expecting might happen. And it's so often in these times where we pray, where our prayers, they're not always answered the way that we hope. It, it might even seem like they go unanswered because like you prayed for your parents' marriage to make it, and it didn't. You, you prayed for the program to accept you, and it was a rejection. You, you prayed for the relationship to work, and after years, it came to an end. You prayed for the illness to go away, and it stayed. You prayed for your loved one to live, and they passed. And, and through the whole struggle, through the whole turmoil, life just seems to get heavier and heavier and heavier. And look, maybe it still is. It might be where you are right now, and it just seems as though the whole world is pressing in. And when you voice these prayers... And, and it doesn't seem to change much. It's like, God, are you listening? Are you there? Are you powerful? Are you loving? Are you good? What's the plan here? What, what, what's going on? Are you even concerned about this? Because this, this is crushing me, and I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Like, when, when we pray, and, and it seems to go unanswered, or it's a flat no, and we struggle to understand why it would be a no, those are the moments. Those are the moments where we we struggle to understand just the reason for praying. Why should we even do this? And it, it might even go a step further to where we struggle to even understand the reason for faith. It can certainly be occasions, and maybe you've used it, or maybe loved ones in your life have used it, where you just walk through those seasons of where it just doesn't seem like God is working and moving in the ways that you would think or the way that you, ways that you would hope. That, that can be what people use as a reason to abandon faith in God, question his power, question his plan, and question his goodness. An olive tree was a central component to the culture, life, and just the economy of many of those living in the land of Israel during the first century, during the time of Jesus. A Jewish family is believed to have consumed close to 130 liters of olive oil every year. They would use olive oil for food, uh, for medicinal reasons, for lighting of their homes, and, and even use it uh, to anoint prophets, priests, and kings, showing their dedication and, and service to the Lord. So almost every time you see a reference to oil in Scripture, it's, a refer it's, it's referring to olive oil. Now, to produce olive oil, you would use an olive press. There are basically two different types of olive presses that, that were used in the time of Christ. One is a beam press. It has this long beam that has weights hanging off one end, but a flat stone on this end. And underneath this flat stone, they would put uh, these bags of olives. And the, the weights would be added to kind of help pull that weight down and, and, and begin to crush those olives and press the olive oil out. 
When the, when the oil came out, it would drain into a vat where, where it would be collected, where it would be bottled. Another type of press is the stone press. Uh, and this one's more straightforward. The olives are just kind of placed directly in a basin or a trough, and a big stone would be placed on top of the olives. Uh, sometimes they would attach a, a beam to that stone, and, and um, the beam would be tied to a donkey that just kind of all day would just push the stone in a circle. But it would roll that stone over the olives where they would be crushed, and the bits and pieces of olives would fall to the bottom, and the oil would rise to the top and to be scooped out and bottled and collected into jars. But you can see it right there, right? For the oil to be produced, for it to go from an olive on a tree to something that could light someone's home, to something that could provide relief or treatment for a wound or give sustenance to one's home, the olive oil or the olive would be placed into the press and crushed or pressed until the oil would flow. One olive press that perhaps you've heard of is called Gethsemane. Gethsemane actually means olive press and the garden that's associated with the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not a flower garden, not a vegetable garden, but it is an orchard of olive trees. And it's here at that place of pressing, at that place of crushing, where Jesus and his disciples have come for Jesus to prepare for his coming crucifixion. It's here where Jesus will voice a prayer and have his prayer seemingly go unanswered. I want us to look at it. Go to Mark 14, 32 through 42. Mark 14, 32 through 42. I've kind of already given you the context that I want, I want you to have for this. This is right before his arrest, right at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, uh, where he's taken the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's drop in the text. We're just going to grab two or three verses here. Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. So in these first opening verses, you see a strong mixture of the full deity of Christ and the full humanity of Christ. He is God in the flesh, right? He's God in the flesh who's come to make a way for the redemption of fallen sinful humanity. But he's fully human too. He's fully human and there's a desire to live, to avoid death, to avoid hurt and pain. And Jesus knows he is walking into a soul-crushing experience with the weight of the world pressing in on him. And he is troubled to the point of death. And so he does what we do when we feel the pressure. He prays. And he prays that God would work. He prays that God would do something, that God would do anything different. Look at how he says it in verse 35. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It says, Abba, Father, right? Like this, this, this is personal. This is personal. This is, this is dad, help, help. I, I, I know you can do whatever you want to do. I know you can move however you want, however you like. Everything is possible for you. So I'm asking, I'm asking, please take this away. Please take this away. Like, in, in some ways, it's almost a plea to be creative, right? Like, it'd be like, God, you had a whale swallow Jonah. You used the stutter of Moses to lead Israel. You had a shepherd slay a giant. Come on, let's get creative and let's come up with a plan here because everything is possible for you. Just take this cup from me. And what's the cup that he has to drink? It's the cup of God's wrath for all the sins of his people for all time. 
Like with the crucifixion, Jesus is going to take on the guilt and the shame and the consequences of the sins of all the people who trust in him over all time. Like that is what Jesus is about to experience with the cross. So it's not just the thought of suffering a Roman crucifixion, although that would be enough to trouble him to the point of death. It is knowing full well that Jesus is about to shoulder the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. And when he does, he will experience the full wrath of God until it is completely absolved. That's depressing here. That's the crushing experience that Jesus is walking through here. It is the weighted stone coming down on the press beam. It is the stone rolling in the trough, bringing about the crushing. And it has an effect on Jesus. In Luke's account of the Garden of the Gethsemane, he speaks, he describes a little bit more the physical toll that this, that this takes on Jesus. He says that the anguish was so great with Jesus that he actually sweats drops of blood as he's praying. And Luke even notes how an angel of the Lord came to minister and strengthen Jesus during this time as he was praying. So again, Jesus feels the weight. He, he, experiencing, he experiences the crushing in this moment. And it's, it would be a temptation for Jesus to bail. Again, God, you're creative. Find another way. I'm out. I mean, he prays and even expresses the desire of what he would like to see happen. Take this cup from me. But what you need to know here, we can't miss this here. This is not an expression of conflict between God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. This is not an expression of conflict between the Son and his Father. Actually, I think this is perhaps maybe one of the greatest expressions of faith Unity and submission, because how does he conclude his prayer? Not what I will, but what you will. Like for Jesus, that's his desire. Like not, not my will, Father, yours be done. He wants to do the will and the work of God. So it's, it's God, if in your wisdom, in your foresight, in your mind, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, your will, not mine. And he keeps praying. He keeps, no, he keeps praying, take this cup away. But he also keeps praying, not my will, but yours be done. Look at how the scripture continues to describe this. Verse 37. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. We're going to hit that in a little bit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found, he prayed the same, sorry, he prayed the same thing. So what's he praying? Father, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. He's praying the same thing again and again. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, we're, we're going to get to the disciples in just, a, in just a minute. But what we see, what the text tells us, is he keeps praying for the cup to, for the cup to be taken, he, but he also prays for submission and trust as well. And when he sees his betrayer coming, he has his answer. It's a no. It's a no. The cup will not be taken. It's his to drink. But Jesus has also prayed that he would submit to God's will. And I, I think you could make a strong argument 
This is a big, big assertion, but I think you could make a strong argument that this is where Jesus defeats Satan. This is where he defeats Satan when he does this, because this is where the agony, this is where the spiritual warfare happens, and it's here where he submits his will to that of his father. It's here where he says, I'm going to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. And on the cross, he's going to submit his body, but here he submits his will, and it prepares him for the cross and the ministry that would, follow, that would flow from it. Because it's here where the crushing of the anointed one happens. The pressing of the Messiah takes place. And he submits to his father's will and he submits to his father's plan. But with that, and this is a huge part of it, what he's doing is Jesus also submits for his prayer to be rejected. He submits for his prayer to be rejected. And it it leads him to the cross where he does make a way for the redemption of all, the crushing, the pressing, where his prayer is rejected. Actually, that's what leads Jesus to the place of triumph, victory, and healing for so many. Because through Christ's sacrifice, right? Through Christ's sacrifice, he brings healing to the broken, light to the darkness, and sustenance to the spiritually starved. But the pressing came first. The crushing happens first. And in it, and really through it all, Jesus doesn't fall into temptation. Not my will, but yours be done. We, we, we see that he's actually, when, he, when he's interacting with the disciples, right? He tells them, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Because Jesus knew that that was going to be an issue. That they were going to be tempted. Because they love Jesus. They followed him for three years. You know they are praying for Jesus in this moment. Jesus has told them that he's going to Jerusalem to die, that he's going to be betrayed. And you know, they love him. They have to pray. God, find another way. Do something different. Like they, they, they're voicing those prayers as well. You know, they, they don't want the cross to have to happen. They, they don't want there to be a betrayal. So they lose the one that they love. And so Jesus tells them, look, you got to pray that you don't fall into temptation. Because certainly when, when they see the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion and his body be sealed in a tomb, there would be a temptation for fear, for anger, resentment. There would be a temptation to abandon the faith because their prayers will seemingly go unanswered or that they're met with a resounding no. Jesus says, pray against temptation. If we're honest, and that's a big if, because it's really hard for us to be honest. But we can understand that temptation because it, it, I mean, for real, it's the inactivity of God that can also, oftentimes be the biggest temptation to overcome. Like it's the inactivity of God that can prove to be the biggest challenge to our faith or the biggest question that we have. It's, it's the inactivity of God that where we can't see him working or moving or, or, or doing what we think that, that becomes the biggest question, the biggest challenge that we face. It was in the days leading up to his own execution where John the Baptist questions Jesus, and he suffered a temptation to abandon faith as well. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story of what, what leads up to it, but he, he send, he's in prison, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to basically say, hey, are you the Messiah or not? Um, because they, they, they knew what the Messiah would, was foretold to do, that he would cure the lame, you know, give sight to the blind, set the captives free, right? So, so John sends his men to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah or not? Because again, he's like, I'm sitting in prison, um, I'm facing a death sentence, and if you're the Messiah, I want in on that action, right? Like, I'd like some help. 
uh, I, I, would like, I would like some help. So he's, he's, he's asking this of Jesus. That's obviously my paraphrase, but that's essentially what, Jesus is, what John the Baptist is asking of Jesus when he sends these men to talk with him. It's, it's John feeling the weight of his circumstances. He, he's, he's, his soul is being crushed. He feels the weight pressing down on him. And he sends this, these men to ask this question of Jesus. And Jesus replies with Luke 7, 22 through 23. He tells the man, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. It's a yes from Jesus. It's yes, John, I'm the Messiah. It's yes, John, I'm the one you've waited for, longed for, hoped for, and foretold would come. I am the Messiah. And these are all the things that are happening, right? The, the blind that receive sight, the light, like this is all the good that is happening outside of your circumstances that, that you can, I know you can't see it right now. I know you can't see God's plan unfolding around you because you feel the weight and your soul is being crushed, but I am the one you're waiting for. Like it is a resounding yes from Jesus. And he gives this, this list, right? The blind see, the lame walk, the death, the, the dead are raised, the deaf can hear, the gospel is preached. But what he left out of that list was the captive going free. And so it's a yes from Jesus, but it's followed by no. No, John, you will not go free. You're going to die, John. You're going to die. But blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Do you grasp what Jesus just told him? Andy Stanley in his book, Deep and Wide, says of that verse, the implications of that statement are staggering. Jesus acknowledges that his activity or lack of activity has the potential to undermine our faith. And his lack of activity almost undermined John's. John would be executed, but he dies with his faith intact and Jesus calling him the greatest born among men. John the Baptist maintains his faith to the very end and perhaps that's his greatest act of ministry happens as he weathers the trial, dying with his faith intact and his whole life pointing to the truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sins of the world. He doesn't fall away on account of Jesus. But make no mistake, that temptation is there because this prayer was going unanswered. Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really God? What's the plan? Do you love me? Do you care about me? And again, the answer to all those questions is a resounding yes, yes. But he's still going to die and blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. It's the inactivity of God that can so oftentimes be the greatest temptations of our faith. But it's in those, because it is in those moments where we feel the weight 
piling on. It's there where we feel the stone coming around for another pass and we feel the crushing and we feel the weight of it. And it's what is going on? What is, what is happening? Little do we know it's the crushing, it's the pressing that is leading to the ministry that God wants to do in and through us. And, and like John the Baptist, so many times our circumstances and our situations, it can blind us to what God is doing in the world around us. Now, don't hear me diminishing what you're going through, what you're walking through, because they are tough. I mean, I hope you've heard me say it throughout, like they are soul crushing, right? They're, sometimes they're life and death circumstances. And that's where the temptation comes to jettison faith, the inactivity that we see in our current circumstances and the lack of response to our prayer. That's where the temptation comes. Again, it's, are you good, God? Are you loving? Yet blessed are those who do not fall away on account of him. We have to remember that God is good, that his plan is in play, even in the crushing, even in the pressing, and, and, and that can be used to, for healing, for hope, for light, for life, for others. It's the olive in the press yielding under the weight of the stone for the oil to be produced. Not my will, but yours be done. So the question should come, how do you survive the pressing? Like, how do you survive that with your faith intact? How do, how do, how do you come out of that still holding on to your faith? I think we can look back into Gethsemane and see what Christ did and, and, what, and, and the example that he set forth to how, uh, for us to learn how, how we can stand in that moment as well. And what we see in this we pray. We pray, and we pray again, and we pray again. We pray. You know, Jesus, he prays the same prayer at least twice in this text. And remember, it's, it's not anything fancy. It's not anything long. If you've been with us through the run of this series, we've talked about how it is more than okay to, vo to voice short prayers to the Lord because it keeps the connection open. I mean, it's, it's three sentences. It's, it's everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, not my will, yours be done. I mean, that's, that's the prayer that he makes. He puts this request before the Lord and he does it at least two times that we have recorded in scripture. I, I think he's probably lifting it up even more. But from that, what we should take from this is don't let the silence keep you from praying. Go again. Go again. Go again. And, and here's, here's the thing on that, though. It's not like God needs you to, to voice the same prayer a hundred times. It's not like, well, he prayed him 97 times. If he had gotten to uh, you know, rep 99, I would have heard. That, that's, that's not it, all right? I think that was week one or week two where we talked about our prayers are not like babbling words before God. We're kind of coercing him into listening. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. No, but continuing to pray, even if it's like, Hederman, I don't know what else to pray. I don't, these are the three or four things that are weighing in on me that I want to give them. Okay, that's, then still put those before the Lord. And you can put those before the Lord multiple times because you doing that shows that you desire that you are open to keeping the connection there, that, that you desire to keep the connection open. Because if you stop, if you stop, you're going to close yourself off and you're going to isolate yourself all the more. No, keep coming back to your father. Pray. Even if it's the same prayer, you can pray it again and again. But know this, he listened to the first one 
and he's listening to the second, and he's going to listen to the tenth. He's hanging on every word, and he will consider every prayer. But we must remember that his ways are higher than ours, that his wisdom is more pure, that his sense of timing is more perfect. It's a cliche, but it's wise. It's been said when we pray, we look at a stopwatch, God looks at a calendar. And even though it's a cliche, it's helpful. I still think it's a bit of a broken, flawed analogy because really God's not looking at a calendar. He can see all of time at one time and he knows exactly how and when to answer each and every prayer in view of all eternity. So again, again, keep praying. Don't disconnect. Don't stop. Keep praying. Another pull that we have from the text and we didn't see it in, in Mark's account of the Garden of Gethsemane, but I mentioned it of it occurring in Luke um, when an angel appeared to strengthen Jesus. And maybe you heard that and you're like, man, that'd be awesome if when I got in these moments and I was praying, if an angel would come and attend to me um, while I was praying, that would be very helpful. Well, know this, the, the book of Hebrews promises us that Jesus himself intercedes for us. Did you, did you grasp that? That that. When we pray, we can know that Jesus is praying for us as well. He's praying alongside of us. So we might think that God is inactive when we can't see our circumstances change or when we are praying and what we're praying for goes unanswered. But we can know for sure that Jesus who loves us, who gave himself for us and died for us, that he is praying for us and on our behalf. Now, what is he praying? What is he praying? I, I mean... I'm human, I, you know, I, I, I can't fully say anything and everything on that, but I would say this, if our prayers are aligned with the will of God, that I would think those are prayers that Jesus would, would voice as well. But I do believe that Jesus is also praying for us what he tells the disciples to pray for themselves. I, th- I think Jesus prays that we would withstand temptation, withstand the temptation to fall away, that we wouldn't let the crushing that they would, we wouldn't let the pressing lead us to fall away, but we would once again submit to and trust in the wisdom and the will of God the Father. I think he prays for us that we would pray his prayer, not my will, but yours be done, that we would somehow, somehow either see or know or be anchored to that the crushing and the pressing is actually leading to a place of ministry for you, leading to a place of ministry for us that is going to bring healing and restoration and hope and lead, maybe even lead someone to the hope of the gospel that we would see and know that even as we walk in and through the, the pressing times, the crushing times. But here's the deal, and, and, and maybe, maybe you're not as cynical as I am on this, but like, I hear that, like, I mean, I'm preaching, I mean, I wrote that sentence, right? And, 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 and there's part of me where that stings, that stings, okay, like, I have to remember that even in the pressing and the crushing, that it's going to somehow break for good, that it's going to somehow lead to healing and restoration and hope, okay? Like, I get it, like, it just, it just, like, even when I write it, and look at it on, the, on paper, I'm like, that's not good enough. That's not good enough, Hederman. Like, I, I, I get that ministry can still come from it. I do, I, and, and that's good. I, I get that maybe I could help others through a season of struggle and a season of suffering. But again, he's God. He can accomplish that any way he wants. He can do the same thing any other way. And for you, you might just be like, look, I just want my marriage back. I just want my loved one back. I just want the job to be there. Like, why, why aren't those prayers answered? 
there's no answer that I can give to you that would completely eliminate all the tension there. There's just not. There's, there's no answer that I can give that would put a bow tie on all those questions. So I can't make that promise to you. But there is one word of hope that I would, I would say to that tension that we feel. And that is this. That at the great resurrection, every prayer will be answered. Every prayer will be answered or every no to a prayer will be revealed for its ultimate wisdom. At the great resurrection, everything will be revealed. When Christ comes back for his church or you die and go to be with him, at that resurrection, every prayer will be answered. And I think we see that in this text as well. Like, as, because I believe that as Christ prays here, he's holding on to the hope of the resurrection. Now, again, it's not black and white in this text, but why I believe it's here in what we just read is because he's already told his disciples, I have the authority to lay my life down and the authority to pick it back up again. He has promised his disciples the resurrection. Jesus knows that this cup that he is going to drink that includes suffering and hurt and death, he knows that it will not end in death, but still, the moment is so intense for him, it's soul crushing. I mean, he is sweating drops of blood where he is feeling the weight of everything coming in on him. And again, it's a collision of his full humanity and his full deity. But I believe that knowing the resurrection would come is going to strengthen him and encourage him in the pain. I mean, the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross and scorns its shame. And so holding on to the hope of the resurrection. And then for sure, when the resurrection happens for Jesus and he comes out of the tomb, then all the prayers of the disciples will, will be reframed in light of that victory. And so with that, the questions that they have around their prayers, why aren't they answered? Why do I have to go? It's going to be revealed. The disciples, when they see Jesus conquer the grave, defeat death, and be raised to life, they know this is why the pressing had to happen. This is why the crushing had to happen. He took our sin to the grave so that we can live with him. And so again, questions about prayers and unanswered prayers an activity of God, an inactivity of God, all of that gets answered and explained at the ultimate resurrection. But that's why we celebrate Easter, the first resurrection. That's why we long for Easter. Because it is a reminder, it is a reminder that God is never inactive. He is never defeated. He's never distant. He's never detached. He's never removed. Even in times of suffering, even in times of crushing and pressing, even in three days of silence with a sealed tomb when it looks like everything that is good is gone and darkness is won and ministry is over, God was still working. And Easter, every year, reminds us of that truth. The first resurrection points us to the hope of the second, the one we have with him. When we feel the weight and there is pressing and there is crushing in on our soul and our prayers feel as if they're going unanswered or we're just being told no, we have to remember and hold on to the truth that at the resurrection, every prayer is answered. When our temporal veil is lifted, and we can look on the eternal nature of time, we will see our periods of suffering and then see the full view of what God was producing, how he was 
positioning his people and, and preparing his people for what he was going to do through them. Even those seasons of our life where it looks like God was being inactive, we'll see that he was still working. We'll see that he was still moving. And with that, we'll be able to know that we were right to trust in him. We were right to hold on to the hope and the belief that he is good, that he is loving, that he is active. We were right to believe that we can rest in him, that we can trust in him, and that blessed are those who do not fall away on account of him. And in that way, prayer, communing with him, putting our requests, our petitions before him, keeping that line of communication open. Prayer helps us submit to God's will, even in those moments, especially in those moments when we don't want to. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. And we thank you that you've given us this gift of prayer, that you allow us to come before you with questions, with our struggles, with our trials. And God, there are some times where our prayers before you just seem like one long gripe session. But God, if we were giving those to you, we know that we were bringing our hurts and our pain and our gripes, that we are bringing them and putting them at your feet and trusting you with them, Lord God, that we desire to interact with you, that we desire to have you intervene in our life, but God, we also desire for you to shape and mold us into men and women who love you, who want your will to be done, not ours. And so God, help us, help us submit to you completely and fully, God, help us submit to you, even submitting to the fact that maybe our prayers might be rejected from time to time. And God, help us know that we are blessed when we do not fall away, even on account of you, how we see you work or how we can't see you work or, or can't see what you're doing. God, help us know that you are never inactive, that you never stop working, that you love us, that you are for us that you are using your people to accomplish your good and divine and eternal purposes, even amidst the pain, the suffering, and, and, the, and, the, and the crushing, Lord God. Help us hold on to that truth, even when it seems as though our prayers are going unanswered. God, we love you, and I thank you for this text that shows the struggle, the pressing, and the crushing of your son, and how he modeled this for us, of even submitting his prayers to you and to your will. God, help us do the same. We love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.